I'm Sandra Hayes Buckley and you are listening to the Mind Your Mind podcast, a podcast that delves into what minding your mind means to different people, what self-care looks like in their lives and why minding their minds is so important to them. I hope you enjoy. My guest this week is Jennifer Davey. Jennifer is a life coach with neuroscience and the owner of Wellbeing Warrior Dalai. Jennifer's work centres on helping women to identify their core values, set boundaries and instil a sense of self-belief. During our chat, we discussed Jennifer's own struggle with postnatal depression, why she strongly believes that core values are integral to our lives, and the shame and guilt that is unfortunately still prevalent among those diagnosed with mental illness. Jennifer, you are so welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Um, For anyone who's listening who isn't familiar with yourself or any of the work that you do, will you just give us a brief introduction into who you are and what you're all about? Okay, so my name is Jennifer Davey and I'm based in Waterford and I am a life coach with neuroscience and I work with women one-to-one and I really help them to, I suppose, rediscover their their self-worth and their self-love and and to learn how to say no with ease and to, I suppose, set boundaries if that's what they need to do or learn to speak up for themselves, but really just foster that powerful self-belief in themselves. Um, That's really what I do. Fantastic. And I was recently recently part of the panel at your live event in the Maryborough in Cork. And I know that mental well-being and your core values and boundaries and everything like that is so important to you. And I suppose, why do you find that so important? Why is it important in your own life? And why do you think it's important for everyone else to, to look after that element of their life? Well, I mean, there's two parts to that, really. Um, um, and the first one is very obvious. Um, and I'm not reinventing the wheel here or anything like that. But it's literally nobody else is going to do it for you. Like nobody else is going to do it. if You don't do it for yourself. And I know, I mean, I'm 39 um, years of age. And I have always, since I was a little girl, needed to be the loudest voice in the room to be heard. But I have always had something to say, which is, of course... Not a surprise to anyone who knows me. I've always had something to say. I've always had an opinion on things. But I know from my, you know, working life, I'm working since I'm 15, um, that you need to be your biggest advocate, you know, when you need something to happen, whether it be you need to go from full-time to part-time in your job, or you need to change the way your partner and you work and, 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 and juggling those kind of, you know, curveballs along the way. You need to be able to speak up for yourself. So you need to really believe in yourself and you need to be a big fan and an advocate for yourself. And in order to do those things, because they're not easy, you need to have the best frame of mind that you can have, the best mental health that you possibly have. Because when your mental health is not good, everything seems insurmountable even the little things like getting up, getting dressed, brushing your teeth, bringing the kids to school, getting out of the car and walking them up to the school gate seems insurmountable rather than say just dropping them because you might bump into someone who wants to talk. And that is the last thing that you want to do. So when you, when you look after your mental health, all of those millions of little things that happen in the day seem manageable. But when you don't look after your mental health and you're struggling mentally in whatever way, all of those little things seem really, really big and it's like a snowball. It does get worse. You need to look after yourself. You need to listen to your body and act when something doesn't feel 
right or you've been feeling low for for longer than like a small few weeks you know what I mean like I remember asking my doctor that when I was first diagnosed with postnatal depression after Oliver which was the end of 2014 and I remember saying to her like how do you know if it's not just like hormonal um or tiredness because I had a new baby and she was saying to me to be honest with you you know, you can feel that way for maybe two or three weeks and then it passes. But if it's after that time and it hasn't passed, then it could be something, something else, something that might need some support, you know. And I thought that was kind of a good measuring stick because we all go through tired periods of um, in our life. Um, but if it stays, then there's something more to it or there could be a couple of different components to it that you you will need some support with or some learning with you know what I mean so yeah and that's the one thing about mental health as well that in comparison to physical health obviously if you fall down the stairs and you hurt your leg you can see bruising or you can feel the pain in your ankle and they can show it up on a an x-ray or an MRI or something with your Mm. mental health it's so much harder to measure because obviously it's not something that you can see it's it's one of these invisible illnesses so having that actual measuring stick actually to, is actually a brilliant tool for people to have, I think, because it, it can be so hard. Like, you know, geez, am I just tired or is this something more or, you know, mm-hmm. is this just because the kids were acting up or, you know, work was hard today or whatever. And mm-hmm. you can kind of almost find yourself in the cycle of, but is it this or is it this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, because even I find myself when, when my mental health dips, I do still kind of go, is this really a dip or am I just tired or did something happen in the last week or a couple of weeks that could be throwing me off balance? Now I'm better at recognizing it because obviously I've been through it myself as well. But mm. like just to have that kind of time frame, okay, if it's more than X amount of time, then then it, it probably is something that needs to be checked out and just, you know, check in with yourself, check in with your doctor, that sort of thing. It is really helpful, I think. Absolutely. It is because there are so many things that will happen that will throw us off balance, um, you know, energy wise or, you know, even like your appetite. That's always a real indicator for me. I just kind of like, oh, I'm not really hungry and I'll skip meals quite a lot. And it's kind of a slippery slope, really, you know. And I think it's good to know. And I suppose like the more the more you have experienced dipped dips in your mental health. Um, and unfortunately I wish, I wish that wasn't the case for, for anyone, but you know, the thing about it is it, it, if it happens once it's, it's going to happen again at some point with different triggers, but the more you've been there, the more you know it mm-hmm. and it gets very familiar. Like depression for me, it's like a, just a big dark cloud. Mm that I, I feel stuck and, and everything just seems a bit darker, you know. And I remember a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, Carmel, she met me for coffee um, a couple, probably a small few months after I was diagnosed with postnatal depression. Um, and I was still really in the thick of it. And I remember she was saying to me a couple of years later, like when she, you know, we were reflecting on it and she was saying, it was like the light was gone out of your eyes which I thought was beautiful and also really sad, you know, because I think she really nailed it. I think that's exactly what it was like, you know. Yeah. Um, That's how it feels to me. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that as well, because it does feel like 
all the the nice the niceness or something is gone out of your life because that's the way it feels like mm. even though it's not in reality you know all the nice mm. things are still there but it's like you can't connect with them because you're in such a dark place that mm. you're you're so far disconnected from all of that nice things and enjoying the goodness that mm. you're it's just like that light has been switched off and that mm. nice stuff is over there <laughs> away mm. from reach um mm. so yeah that is a that's a lovely way of putting it actually mm. mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. and i suppose then like i've done work with you myself on our core values and i suppose through that work what i learned is that before i suppose when i was in a, a very dark place i didn't know what my core values were mm. and you're kind of almost stumbling around in the dark then like trying to figure out what what it is in life that you enjoy and and especially when your mental health has taken that that dip as well if you don't know what they are mm. it, can, it can feel very I don't know chaotic I suppose is the biggest yeah. for it and what the work I did with you taught me is that when you identify them you can then I suppose live a life in alignment with your values so then what everything you're doing in your life will sort of naturally go towards those values Mm. and work towards those values and I suppose for anyone who's listening who doesn't know about core values um could you give us kind of a brief introduction into why that element of the work is so important in relation to kind of your mental well-being and kind of looking after yourself long term okay I think for anyone I think okay so how I explain it to people is core core your core values are like your signposts and they're your deal breakers um i remember when i was training um back in 2020 um with the life coaching with neuroscience with positive success group i remember them saying to me they're your non-negotiables they're the things that you just will not tolerate you know in your life so for example i mean you know um kindness if a core value of mine is kindness it's like I'm saying that kindness is one of the most important things to me and every day in everything that I do whether it be for myself or for the people who I love I will come from a place of kindness but what it also means is when somebody shows me that they don't value kindness or they don't act with kindness then I, it helps me to make a decision about whether or not I'm going to stay friends with that person. Am I going to keep that person in my life? So they have two powerful elements to it, you know, knowing what your core value is or knowing what they are, I should say, because they're oftentimes plural. Is like, these are, this is the thing that I really, really value. And because I know that I value it so much and because I know that it is core to who I am, when I see a lack of that in a situation or in a person, it helps me to make a decision about that situation and that person. And that could be really, really helpful when people are very much, you know, people pleasers and are really bad at saying yes to themselves. And it can really help if somebody's like in a, in a situation that's draining the life out of them. Um, and they don't know what to do. If somebody's like that, knowing what their core values are, 
really helps them to make a decision about, well, I'm going to limit how much time I spend with that person or that situation that drains my energy. Or I'm going to just completely cut the cord on it. You know, it helps them to make that difficult decision with a lot more confidence. Do you know what I mean? Because it's never a black and white situation. So I suppose, you know, our core values are the things that we hope that are the most important to us. And they're not like the Miss Universe, like, you know, world peace and universal joy I mean yeah obviously they're grand you know good but I don't I don't want to I don't want to hear that you know what I mean when I'm working with someone I want to hear something really individualized do you know what I mean like really personal so personal even that like you as much as you might be and have a great you know like my husband for example like we're a great team we're together 25 years actually in August we met when we were like embryos we were like 14 and we share a lot of the same values, but my core values would be totally different to Wayne. And that's good. That's what you want. That's how specific you want to get with your core values. I mean, you know this, Sandra, from when we were working together in the early days of the of the program. Like they're really individualized. Like say some, some of my core values, for example, would be communication, you know, straight talkers. I love when people are straight. Don't waste my time. Tell me. Do you know what I mean? And if you can't tell me, tell say to me, I can't tell you. You know what I mean? I just don't, I either don't know or I'm really uncomfortable with it. Do you know what I mean? But just tell me, you know? And I love learning. Whether it be podcasts, like true crime. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I could actually be in a profile for the FBI now at this stage. <laughs> I know that much about true crime, right? But like I love learning stuff, whatever it be about business, whatever, you know, um, I love learning stuff. So I know what my core values are. So they help me make decisions especially on those heavier days. Um, the summer is coming up now. It's going to be busier. I definitely, as someone who's quite hard on myself, I think I'm forever going to be working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing what my core values are um, is going to help me navigate the summer with the two little boys and running my own business and managing my mental health. It'll help me, you know, prevent overwhelm, stop any overthinking, trying to creep in. It just really, really helps. It's like one of the best things you can do for yourself, taking that time to know what your core values are. Yeah, and I suppose that feeds in then as well to your boundaries. Because if you know what your core values are, and you obviously then know what you don't want and what what you need less of, and it can help you to actually set those boundaries that you need. And I know we've talked about this as well in our work. Um, But like... I suppose just to give the listeners a bit of insight, one of my core values is compassion, but also self-compassion. And that was something that I needed to learn and work on because I wasn't actually showing myself a lot of compassion. Kind of all along, I was very much that people pleaser that you were talking about there, but actually recognizing that it was really important to me to show myself that compassion and also others it absolutely helped me in setting boundaries that I needed to set and that I wasn't always saying yes to everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that's really important about the, the core values because it does link in then to setting your boundaries and being mm-hmm. firm on your boundaries. Mm. I remember that day, actually, that you had that aha moment about the self-compassion. Do you remember? 
Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. It was back in September, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you nurtured that and used that since? Well, I suppose like it's something that I always have in my mind now. So yeah. if I am being hard on myself, I'm like, hang on, I need to mm. cut myself a bit of slack here, mm. you know. And I I do suffer from a bit of perfectionism, um, yes. and like that can lead to being very hard on yourself. So actually having the compassion to say, no, it doesn't need to be absolutely perfect or it's okay that this didn't work out. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And we can, we can move on tomorrow's another day. We can try it out again. Yeah. And, um, and it's really helped me in that sense because I suppose now that I've had that moment that I need to do this, I need to be self-compassionate and be kind to myself Mm. it's sort of I suppose it's something that you kind of always know because it's it's you know I suppose an obvious thing that you should look after yourself but Mm. it's not something that we always do Mm. and when I realize how much I actually value it when I do look after myself and I show myself that compassion it also leads as well that I can be more compassionate for other people because if I'm you know I suppose if I'm always saying yes to everything I suppose that can lead to resentment as well. So Absolutely. Actually, you know, it actually kind of is this cyclical thing of if I'm kind to myself, if I'm compassionate to myself, then I'm, mm. I'm actually able to be more compassionate with other people. Mm. And you know what? You're teaching other people as well what that looks like because they see you doing it. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. And that, I suppose that's the, the big thing with this podcast that I want people to see that it is okay to look after yourself and it is mm-hmm. actually more than okay that you should be minding yourself minding your mind and mm-hmm. that minding your mind looks different to different people because everyone will have a different way of looking after themselves through self-care or be it you know some people need a little bit of extra help through their you know through med- medication or through therapy or through mm-hmm. you know maybe attending a psychiatrist or something like that but actually that it's all okay and that yes. we should be having these conversations and we should be able to talk about these things because like it's so common so many people suffer and struggle with mental health difficulties at some point in their life and mm. I don't like I don't want anyone to suffer with that stigma that societal thing of judgment mm. we mm. should be able to speak up and say actually I'm having a tough time at the moment I really need a bit of extra extra time to to mind myself or whatever like that so so that's kind of the big aim with this Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah because it's still for I mean the conversation is much more uh, prominent now around mental health in the last I mean even just five years I think we've made huge strides in that regard but on an individual level, I still think there's a great deal of shame attached. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I felt it myself. I was only saying this to somebody recently uh, and it surprised me. Like when I was first diagnosed with it, right? 2014, I definitely felt shame in that doctor's office. And I was so surprised by it. I was like, whoa, because logically, Rationally, I knew it didn't make sense, but I felt it in my core. I felt it very deep in my bones, this shame. 
And if I'm being honest, it probably it probably lingered for a couple of years, really. It definitely did. It was probably only when when I had the total breakdown in Freddie was born in 2018, right? When I just had to completely retreat from the world. He was about like 14 months old. And I was out of school, like I just completely retreat for about four months. And that's when I went to start to go into the psychiatrist. And I remember saying to the psychiatrist, Dr. Darren Flynn was his name. And I was saying, Dr. Flynn, like, what's the story with my brain? Like, what's going on? Like, I know what serotonin is. And I know, obviously, there's a problem with my serotonin. But like, explain it to me, you know, like, what is the antidepressants I was on? Actually, I'm still on Cetraline what are they doing for the serotonin? Like explain the, the logistics of it, basically, and mm. explained it to me. I went, ah, that makes sense. That absolutely, so I said, like, I have absolutely no control over how my brain is firing out cylinders of serotonin at the start of the day, and then I'm crashing, then at lunchtime. Well, I can't do anything about that, really, in the sense that it's causing me shame. I can't feel shame for that, because that's, that's outside my control you know what I mean from that point of view and it was only then really uh, so that's five years ago that I kind of let go of the shame but I think for anyone who's feeling low um, and they're at the beginning of that journey they're definitely feeling shame like so we're having the conversation and there's it's great but we need to keep it up and we need to we need to get more personal and we need you know more people individually to start sharing their story so collectively, we can have that moment that I had in the psychiatrist's office of, oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. makes sense. Because when we know when we know better, we understand things, we can make much better decisions about it. Absolutely. You know? And I actually really um, can resonate with that as well, because I was always saying, like, but like, how can I just fix it? Because I had this internalized societal stigma towards it I suppose that that taboo feeling of like oh but like Jesus I, I need to I need to get better now and then this needs to stop mm. because what will people think and yes that, that sort of feeling and like that it was my psychiatrist actually said to me she was like well if you fell down the stairs and you broke your leg would you then not go to the doctor you would like and hide it from somebody you wouldn't. You'd go to the doctor, you'd get your x-ray. If it was broken, you'd put the cast on and you'd wear that for however long and you'd go to a physiotherapist afterwards to rehab yourself and all the rest of it. And she said, just because you can't see that there's something, you know, not quite right inside in your brain doesn't mean that it's not happening. And mm. that's the way she explained it to me that, you know, there's just something not wired up correctly or, you know, that sort of thing at the moment. Mm. And that that's fine. It's every bit as important as getting the leg checked out or, Mm -hmm. you know, doing the physiotherapy afterwards for rehabbing it and looking after it. And long term, if you were after breaking your ankle very badly, long term, you're going to have to look after that. You're not going to just, you know, go out the day after you took your cast off and play a football match or, Mm. well, you might, but you probably wouldn't be advised. (laughs) But, (laughs) But, you know, she explained it to me like that. And then I was like, you know, oh, yeah. Actually, you know, if there was something physically wrong with me, I'd have no problem ringing the doctor or going to the hospital and getting this, whatever scans were needed and taking whatever mm. pain medication was needed. Yes. But I suppose 
and, and it was at this time that there was talk of medication for me as well. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to take them and, you know, whatever. And they were like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't not take pain medication if you were in pain, physical pain. So mm. why would you deprive your brain of this medication that it needs mm. in order to get that balance right? And yes. that kind of, for me, again, it was talking through that and kind of making sense of it that kind of relieved me of the shame but I, I totally understand what you're saying that people mm. would do definitely and I think it is unfortunately it is still a societal thing that that's mm. where the the shame comes from mm. that there is still this almost cloud of of stigma that kind of hangs over us that mm. like we don't want to be seen and it, it probably is a generational thing as well coming yeah. back from the you know unfortunate use of the word you know mad she's going to the mad house or you know not talking about mental health saying somebody was you know her nerves are at her or you know that Mm. sort of thing that it was all very much swept under the carpet and Mm. I think we are starting to come out of that but there's definitely more that can be done to Mm. kind of bring us out from underneath that and actually be able to have these open conversations more regularly Absolutely. And I often wonder, like, is it, is it, is it just a matter of educating, you know, the way, like, is it just a matter of people understanding the brain a bit more and, you know, serotonin and how, you know, how the, what goes on in your brain with serotonin and why we need it and what happens, how we feel when we're low on it. Is it, I wonder, is it just a matter of everyone understanding that more or is it, that's needed and something else as well do you know what I mean because yeah I find that curious as someone who like likes information and I will seek out answers when I don't understand something but that's just me but I wonder for people who are different to me is it just a matter of education for them too or is it something else you know is it something kind of intrinsic within us all like you said that about the generational thing um, is it more emotive based as well as not just information based? You know, I, I often think about that. I'd like, I'd love to hear what people's thoughts are on that really, you know? Yeah. And we can put up a question box up on the Instagram page when this. Oh yeah. Well, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. See what people think. But yeah. I think you touched on something there with education. I think it is definitely something that should be talked about more in schools as well. Actually touching, oh, yeah. you know, um, the emotional side of, of our well-being and, and that sort of thing and and actually what to do when you know you might be anxious or, or down and that sort of thing because there certainly was none of that in school in my day now, no 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 me neither um and like I don't know has it improved much but um I think it's definitely something that we should be teaching our kids kind of all the way up that you know these, these things they do happen but it's okay and it's quite mm. normal actually because mm you know, the statistics show that, you know, there is a huge percentage of people will go through mental health problems at some point in their life. So mm-hmm. it is something that I suppose it touches so many people's lives that mm-hmm. why would we not be educating people about it? You know, I think. Absolutely. It oh my God. Sorry, I interrupted you. I actually couldn't even keep that in anymore that. Oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that really surprised me when I started saying out loud, I, I have depression or I'm on sexually and anti antidepressants, the amount of people who said, oh my God, me too, or oh my dad is on that, or my brother, or my mother, or my husband, 
Jesus, I was really blown away. And I remember thinking, half the feckin' countries on Cetraline by the, you know what I mean? Like, because I would, that's what I was saying. I want Cetraline. And I couldn't believe the amount of people who knew what it was and who knew someone who was on it. And I remember thinking, why are we all pretending like this is not happening? So many people are out there really struggling and they're in a room and the room is full of people who are struggling too or know someone who's struggling. Like it just seemed so stupid to me that it's silent. You know what I mean? Because my God, like I'm not unique by any stretch of the imagination that I suffer from depression. There's nothing unique about that at all. So Mm. many people are. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that was just unfathomable to me, really. Um, that I thought that it, I was different because so many other people are the same. And that's struggling the thing. When, when you are struggling, you do feel so alone. Yes. And it's very isolating. And actually, mm-hmm. the thing is, you're actually part of this massive group of people who are going through the exact same thing. But yeah. because we don't talk about it enough, you, you, know, you don't know that. And it's very hard to kind of understand that because people don't talk about it. And it's only when you do say, actually, I have, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever it may be, that you will then hear from loads of people who actually I have that same thing going on in my life. And I think that's why as well, like, as well, I'm so passionate about talking about all this. I know Mm -hmm. this is something that you're very passionate about as well, Mm -hmm. that like the advocacy for mental health and speaking up for yourself like because if you don't say it nobody will and nobody will nobody will do it for you nobody will you know because at the end of the day you're the one that's going to have to go through the work but actually you're the one who's going through the work at the same time as loads of other people Mm. there's there's comfort in knowing that and I think that's why we need this education as well to Mm. tell people actually hey hang on half the country is actually going through the exact same thing as what you're going through right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're not insane. You're not a freak. You're not mm-hmm. a weirdo, you know, because these are all thoughts that I had certainly when mm-hmm. I was going through my mental health problems. I was like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just be normal? Yeah. You know, all this sort of thing. And actually it is very normal to go through these things because there's a huge percentage of people going through the exact same thing as you. Absolutely. And I think you said something there a moment ago about like nobody's going to do it for you. And I think part of that as well is nobody knows just how bad it is for you. You're the only one who knows just how bad this feels, just how horrible it feels, um, just how scary it feels. Is this, is this it now? Is this the way I'm always going to be? Or my thing was when I would have a good day, well, when am I going to have a bad day again? How long is this going to last yeah. I remember saying when I had like kind of my first real dip after I was first diagnosed and I got on the medication and I went to counseling and I started making some lifestyle changes and I had a good few months and then I started to dip again. And I remember saying to my dad, like, I don't understand, like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do um, and I'm here again. And I had a couple of moments like that. Now, thankfully, it's been a small few years since I've had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely been a journey. But like nobody really, like even even I could be in a room full of people who have postnatal depression just like me, but how they how it manifests for them is going to be totally different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in the thick of it and you feel it so much, nobody can really get that until mm-hmm. you articulate it, explain this is, this is really how it feels, you know? Um, and I mean that with the greatest kindness to people, like people who, you know, um, want to understand it, want to support you. But unless they've been there before, they don't really get it. Like it's such a, an individual thing, isn't it? Like it's different for everybody, different for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of brings us into the one, another thing that's different for everybody is how to look after yourself. You, it is so individual and I think for a lot of people it, it will be a bit of trial and error what feels good what helps your mind um I know for me for ages I was like nothing helps you know very kind of like dismissive of like I'm just gonna stay at home and fester in my in mm-hmm. my um, anxious thoughts and panic but like when you are in the mind space where you can look after your mind and whatever like that what is it that you do yourself to look after your mind when things are tough or even just on a daily basis you know your kind of regular self-care right so right now the present um the things that I do um regularly is I make sure I get enough sleep so I'll make sure to get like about two really early nights where I like have a nice hot shower and get into bed about nine. Do you know what I mean? Like really early. Um, I make sure to um, drink plenty of water. Like I fill up a big bottle. It's like 2.2 liter. I fill that in the morning. I would just pour from that for the day. So I know how much I've drank. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll make sure to have three meals. Um, and that's hard. I find that hard. I'm a bit, of, I, I would have in the past been a meal skipper you know, picking at things. Um, and I definitely try and have three good meals and I think about what I'm going to eat. And I will just add, I hate cooking. I don't take any joy whatsoever in cooking. If I never had to cook a meal again, I'd be delighted. So I don't enjoy it. So that is hard for me, right? So I try and maximize. So if I'm having lunch, I'll try and think of I'll put as many things as I can into the sandwich or into the wrap that are good for me to really, because I know nutrition is really important. I tend to not drink when I'm feeling sad. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I won't have a glass of wine if I'm feeling low. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 so, and other things is I'll make sure, like exercise. I go to a gym in Waterford, Snap Fitness. And my aim is to always go to like three classes a week. And sometimes I'll do more. And sometimes I might do a little bit less, but I, it is very much a part of my week. So it's water, it's nutrition, it's sleep. Um, I will nap if I feel really tired and I can. Um, even if it's a 20 minute nap in the car. I mean, I've been known to do that in the car park outside the school. Do you know what I mean? If that's what I need to do. But I know as someone who's high energy um, and in the past medication you'd be on like Cetraline or um Lexipro or like I've been on a few of them you know they can make you tired sometimes they really really can um and I would really also say like I really consider about how I spend my time and who I spend my time with so if I'm feeling a little bit low then I won't meet that person who normally drains my energy mm-hmm. um you know and vice versa and I'll do things that are fun 
Um, and they are all things that I'm doing regularly, you know, asking for help, saying to my husband, can you do this? I, I just, I'm just too tired. I'm really, you know, asking for help all the time. And they really are things, Sandra, like that I do every day and have done for a long time. And they've really stuck. They, they're what works for me. And there's other things I do as well, I suppose, but they're the real core ones, I think. Yeah. And that kind of comes back to your boundaries as well. You know, that you were saying that you don't meet with that person who drains your energy. You say no, no to that person. No. And that's important as well, because, you know, there are people, unfortunately, there who will drain your energy and who will you come in, come away from meeting them feeling a little bit worse than what mm-hmm. you did when you when you went to meet them. And I suppose it's recognizing that as well, isn't it? It's, you know, that, look, this is not good for my mind right now. I I just need to to not meet that person. I'll meet them, you know, when I'm feeling a bit better, that sort of thing. And, you know, I suppose what you're saying there as well, it's so individual to you. You know, you said that you you don't like cooking, but the next person might love cooking and that might be their list. And I suppose that's really as well another thing that, is really important to recognize actually, you know, you're not doing self-care wrong if you're doing different things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Each to their own. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, you don't need to buy, you know, the fancy candle if you're not into candles, but if you are, you know, by all means, light it, you know, and you know, some people need more sleep than others, all that sort of thing. And it's really important to recognize all of that. Um, and what works for you works for you yeah and And you don't have to explain that to anybody do you know what I mean you don't have to explain it to anybody you don't have to justify it to anybody it doesn't need to make sense to anybody else but you you don't owe anyone an explanation and I was going to say something there a moment ago just jumped straight out of my head Oh, and also you were saying a moment ago about boundaries and not meeting up with that person. And and just an extend on that as well. Like, you know, it's okay to change your mind about something and it's okay to alter your plans a little bit. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would say, probably one of my biggest advices really will be is, you know, ask yourself, you know, when you when you consider doing those things, when you're considering like changing plans and then you start saying to yourself, Oh, but should that look really bad? Or what will they think of me now? Or this, you know, ask yourself this question. What am I making things mean about me? You know, if I change my plans, is it, does that mean then that I'm an oddball or I'm standoffish or I'm this or I'm that? No, it's not, you know, it's not. It's just in this moment right now, what you need is not to meet up with somebody and instead to maybe rest or oh, whatever it might be garden I mean whatever do you know what I mean like for me it would have been gardening digging holes and tearing down bushes and all sorts of stuff you know what I mean like but don't you know ask yourself what am I making this mean and and again like you were saying you might it might be that you're really just lacking self-compassion and you're boxing yourself in and you're not giving yourself the choice to do what you need to do you know yeah absolutely and you you touched on something there with the you know the gardening tearing stuff down if you need to tear stuff down, tear, tear it down. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. feel like you need to like apologize because actually if you're apologizing for what you're doing, you're actually letting your inner critic get in there yeah. and take over. And then that's not minding your mind because actually mm-hmm. it's the opposite. It's allowing yourself to 
bash your thoughts, bash your, your feelings, bash what you want to do and, and what you want to do to mind yourself or what you want to do to show yourself that bit of compassion. And mm. that's something that can, it can definitely come in there. And it's just recognizing that actually I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing mm-hmm. this to look after myself and that's okay. Everyone mm-hmm. needs to look after themselves. Everyone is worthy of looking after themselves as well mm-hmm. in whatever way that looks like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know what? Like it is really, it's like, it's, it really is like just, you don't have to explain why you are doing something to anybody. They mm-hmm. do not need to validate you and say, oh yeah, you're okay, do that now. If you can get to a place where you can hear your body, you know, your intuition, I need to get out and go for a walk. I need to go out, for me it might be, I need to get outside and cut the grass and move my body, physically move my body, pushing the lawnmower, getting the heart rate up, being in the fresh air, being in the garden, all of that stuff is good for me. And mm-hmm. instead of ignoring that little voice going, I think I'll go out and cut the grass after Instead of ignoring that, just listen to it. And I know that's a skill and I know it takes time to hone that skill and to get used to listening to your intuition. But women, we are powerful and we really have a strong intuition. And to just for anyone who's listening, like who's thinking like, I don't think I can do that or I don't, I have never done that before. You know, I mean, just give it a go. You don't have to like, be standing in the garden doing a yoga pose with your hand in your heart to listen to your intuition. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, you know what I mean? You could be literally just, you know, pulling the clothes out of the dryer or brushing your teeth and just saying, what do I want? What do I actually want to do today? What do I need? That's all. And it'll mm-hmm. come to you. But trust it. You know yourself better than anyone else. And you know, your, you know what's best for you. You really, really do, you know, and stop asking or looking for outside validation. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, you know yourself. But I also, like, I know it takes time to get to that place, but it doesn't take as long as you would think. That's what I would think, you know, that's what I'd like to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it took me took me two sessions with Jennifer to realize what my my um my light bulb moment was with regards yeah. to um, compassion. So yeah, it took me long. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. So Jennifer, um, I suppose with all of that in mind, um, mm-hmm. I want to thank you for being so open and honest, and for. I suppose, imparting all your fantastic advice um, as a life coach with neuroscience. Um, I'm sure people who are listening will find it really helpful. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And I hope you enjoyed it. I really did. I love having conversations, obviously. You know, I'm obviously very comfortable talking. <laughs> I could talk all day. <laughs> but I think it's really important. And it was lovely to work with you like this. It really was. Yeah, really. Thank you so much for having me on. And I hope um, I hope there is lots of um, encouragement in my words. I hope people feel encouraged, you know, because you can do it. I was I was once there and I'm not anymore. Um, so it is possible, you know, to get out of that funk and get out of that fog, you know. Thank you so much for sharing, Jennifer. My pleasure. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, review or follow. It really does help with getting the podcast out there. You can follow us on Instagram at mindyourmindpod for extra content and some behind the scenes action. Talk to you next week and in the meantime, don't forget to mind your mind.